We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Here's your host, John Helpin. Hey, everybody, it's John Halpin. Welcome to the October 4th edition of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Fantasy Draft. Derek Van Riper are going to, and I, are going to preview all the week five games. We're not going to talk about our Yankees and our Brewers in the baseball playoffs. We're just going to leave that alone, right? Promise. Okay, good. Football. Only football. So who's your favorite? Four weeks in here. We're almost at week five. Who's your favorite buy low candidate? Early season underachiever who you would like to pick up? Because some underachievers you go, oh, that guy's going to keep underachieving. Others you don't. Who's your favorite? I think it's Derrick Henry. I think it's because Tennessee has a good offensive line. Marcus Mariota was hurt to begin the season. He seems to be healthy now. And there's been a couple of weeks where Henry's been getting that volume anyway. I mean, we've seen how it's played out with Deion Lewis catching a lot of passes. But no one expected Derrick Henry to catch that many passes anyway. He's very touchdown dependent. And I just don't see Lewis getting enough of a workload to make Henry irrelevant. But I think you've got a lot of Derrick Henry owners out there who are very frustrated, who are especially coming off the season low eight carries last week against the Eagles. Probably ready to go ahead and give up on him. Uh, at a very reasonable price relative to what he cost a month ago when we were making uh, picks and drafts. All right. I'm not sure. I mean, I've got – I like the idea of Cook. I don't know about Jordan Howard. I can't figure that out. I think yeah. Howard Howard does fit that description too. It's nice to have both of those guys in a 10-team league, by the way. It's really lovely because yeah. um, they're not quite bad enough where I want to cut them, and they're not good enough to really do anything in a trade. And Howard, three weeks in a row, two and a half carries or less. That's pretty weird. He was catching passes prior to this week against Tampa Bay. That was such an odd game script. It got so far out of hand that maybe just not using him, going into the bye, was a good way to go. They gave him 24 carries against Arizona the week before. He scored. It's a a little bit like the Derrick Henry situation for me. And, you know, I do like the Bears' offense overall. I like Matt Nagy as as a coach. So I think that bodes well for Trubisky continuing to figure some things out. Um, so, yeah, Howard's on that list 
as well as somebody they think you will get an actual discount on. But I think Henry, I mean, Henry was cheaper on draft day. And I think Henry has disappointed people even more than Howard by comparison uh, when you consider that you know Howard had that role in the passing game those first two games and that he scored in week three. All right, so I want to ask you about a tweet I saw this morning from uh, Mark Stopa, who's part of the Rotowire family, asking if Leonard Fournette was cuttable in leagues with shallow benches. And his, his comment after that was that generally in the fantasy industry, one thing we don't do well is tell people when to cut bait. I don't know if I totally agree on that. And I know, but I know I'm a person who can be stubborn and tell people not to cut bait. Some, sometimes I, I let it go too long. What do you think about, A, a that assessment in general, and B, is Fournette a guy? Could, could you see a circumstance where you could cut Leonard Fournette now? In a 10-team league where you've got about a five-man bench and you might have other injuries, it's possible. And here, the best case I could make for it is that two weeks off wasn't enough for him to get healthy. They don't think the injury is worse, but two weeks off probably won't make him healthy this time. So you look ahead at their schedule. They're at Kansas City, at Dallas, home against Houston in Week 7, home against the Eagles in Week 8, and then they have a Week 9 bye. They can win games without Leonard Fournette. They have shown that at times of these last season and change, last two seasons now. If you're the Jags, would you be tempted? Would your medical staff probably be wise to say, we're shutting him down, he's not playing until Week 10, and he's going to be fine. The hamstring is going to be healthy, and a healthy Leonard Fournette week 10 and beyond against the Colts, the Steelers, the Bills, the Colts again, the Titans, the Redskins, the Dolphins through the fantasy playoffs is going to just run wild all over everybody. Like that's the scenario. If I'm a Fournette owner, I'd actually rather have that happen than have him try to return after two games again. Okay. But I, I mean, the one thing I agree with that Stopa suggested is that we are we are a little bit reluctant to give people drop advice in particular. I think that's always the area where we tend to, as an industry, steer away from telling people what to do. We don't want to tell people to make a cut and be wrong about dropping a guy like that. I think injury optimism is something that Scott Pianowski's talked about for, for a long time. He's not the only one, but in draft season, it's staying away from injuries because they're going to find you anyway. In season, I think the 2.0 version of that is being more realistic about your expectations. I mean, there's probably somebody in every league who's 3-1 and or 4-0 and and feels a little bit weak at running back. Maybe they've been getting by with uh, guys that aren't necessarily going to have the job in a few weeks. I mean, if you're a 3-1 and James Conner team, well, Le'Veon Bell's coming back in a few weeks. So your James Conner production is almost certainly going to go down to zero or it's going to be a lot less than it is now. You're not going to want to start him. Trading for Fournette makes a lot of sense in that context, and the price may never be lower. So if you could make the roster gymnastics work, I absolutely would want to buy low on an injured Fournette right now in circumstances like that. Um, but generally, no, I think he's he's too good to cut, and this injury isn't bad enough to make that move just yet. Yeah, because the thing is, I, I was looking, I'm looking at the Yahoo ownership percentages. And I'm looking at saying, what would it take? What, if I was going to cut Fournette, what would it take for me to do it? And I'm looking at, let's say, the you know, ownership percentage, the 30, let me see, 31, 2, 3, 4, the 34th running back, 32, 31 through 34 are James White, TJ Yeldon, Matt Breida, Philip Lindsay. I feel like the risk of cutting Fournette is not worth that. Yeah, it really doesn't seem to be in that case. And, you know, I'm looking at it, okay, like Geo, like Geo owners. You've been getting by, right? Mixon's been hurt. Mixon might be back this week. Well, the, the Geo train just stopped or is about to stop. Like you're going to need something to replace him. If you, if you were leaning heavily on him, you probably didn't have a great situation before Mixon got hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of, lot of angles, a lot of successful teams right now off to good starts going to be positioned to maybe lose something at running back, you can get a huge boost if your roster is built in a way where you can take on a Leonard Fournette and wait it out for these next few weeks. Because, again, I mean, a four-week break 
from a grade one fringy grade two hamstring strain, four weeks plus the bye would be huge for him. Yes. And then you think about what running backs often do when they come in with fresh legs midseason against defenses that are not nearly as fresh. We saw it with Kenyon Drake last season when his, his role increased. That was kind of a midseason change. He ran wild. He looks like a totally different player right now. I don't know if it's for any usage as much as anything else, right? But I just think you could see a path to Leonard Fournette getting the four weeks off, coming off that bye, and then being the player that many people expected. And the people that drafted him in the first round might get buried, but the people that traded for him at the buy low point could end up being league winners as a result. Yep. Okay. Folks, uh, before we move on and check out Game by Game, check us out on Twitter. Derek's at Derek Van Riper. I'm at Hoppin 37 You can also tweet us at Rotowire. Get player updates at Rotowire NFL or find us on Facebook. And again, um, today's sponsor, Fantasy Draft. Wasn't sure if I mentioned that off the top, so I wanted to mention them again, and we'll talk about them a little more later. Week five, your buys are Bears and Bucks. Uh, Colts Pats tonight. So Gronk trending toward being active. Julian Edelman back for the Pats. The Colts, no T.Y. Hilton, no Marlon Mack, no Jack Doyle, no probably no Darius Leonard. Their uh, linebacker is pretty solid. This this looks kind of ugly. And where I want to go first is first, could you go after as far as the Colts running backs go? Um, I talked about this with, I think, Tim on Monday. Is the play here not Jordan Wilkins, who was sort of a trendy late-round pick before the season, but, hey, this team can't run at all, so the only thing they're going to do out of the backfield is throw it to Hines? It's totally possible because of all the injuries. Like Ordinarily, I wouldn't look at Hines coming off nine catches last week and say, here it comes, it's going to happen again. But the game script also points that way. When you think about this Colts team, Matching up with healthy players against the Patriots, they'd still be probably a touchdown underdog at Foxborough. This should make it worse. I mean, the Patriots, to me, look like the best survivor pick on the board if you haven't used them already. and You may have been eliminated if you did because they lost a little bit early on. Uh, but I, I look at this team and I think, okay, they're starting to get their key pieces back. They had a huge offensive performance last week at home against the Dolphins. The Colts... Missing guys just seems so unlikely in a short week to go in there and pull off the upset. But if they're playing from behind, they're playing 10-plus down throughout this game. We know Andrew Luck's depth of target has come down a lot from where it was pre-injury. I think you're right that Hines could be very heavily involved. Maybe, again, it's kind of like a Chris Thompson-type role where the carries aren't really going to be there. But the heavy volume in the passing game does, especially in PPR leagues, make him appealing Wilkins is a guy that nobody wanted in my NFFC primetime league. I think we threw like a $3 bid in the team I co-own with the football editor, Mike Doria. We kind of thought, we're not going to get him. Somebody else will pick him up with Mac out. Nobody nobody wants him because they don't believe right. in the Colts running game, I guess. So I do think Hines is in a pretty good spot tonight just because of the way I think that game's going to play out. All right. So if this is a blowout, that would play toward the, the Pats' backs. If you had Edelman, if you had Josh Gordon... Are you looking to play them, looking to not play them somewhere in the middle? Gordon, I'm warming up to. I mean, he had 22 snaps last week, I believe, or 22% of the team's snaps. So that, that's, a, that's a decent number. I mean, because it's the first game out, I would expect him to get maybe closer to 40 or 50 this week. I, I'm still trying to do the calculus in my head. Like, how much are they going to scale Philip Dorsett back? You know, how much does Hogan improve even though he might get fewer targets does he do more with those targets because the matchups become more favorable for him like he, he drew some really tough one-on-one assignments in the first few games and I think that's been a big part of why that production has lagged so aside from tonight with you know Edelman and Gordon being out there not a bad matchup against the Colts Chiefs next week Bears in week seven Bills in week eight Packers in week nine the upcoming schedule for the Patriots is actually pretty favorable as far as getting that passing game firing on a high level again, I think Gordon, I don't have him anywhere. So every time he comes up as a question, it's so awkward because I don't even have anything to compare it to. I think he's probably still on the outside looking in for me, unless we're talking like a 14-team league where you're starting three receivers. Edelman, in a 12 full PPR, three receivers, I think he could get in there. But I'm still kind of tempering my expectations. Talking about a guy who's after 30 years old, who's coming off a torn ACL, and that's still significant. There's still a, a prove-it aspect 
for a player like that in a situation like this where there's so many other weapons in that game. The Rotowire projections uh, have, in standard, Josh Gordon, wide receiver 22, and Edelman 37. That's high. That's aggressive. Uh, that seems pretty aggressive on Gordon. I, I get it. I totally understand. Eventually, that role is going to be there. Unless you saw something in the tape against Miami that makes you confident, I still think you're right to look carefully at your alternatives. Yep, I agree. Uh, Ravens-Colts. Over-under is 47, which seemed a little high to me. I, I kind of looked at this as sort of a lower-scoring game based on the Ravens' defense and actually the Browns' defense, which is pretty good. Do you think there's going to be – I feel like this is not the fantasy-friendly game that the over-under would suggest. No, I, I liked Baker Mayfield quite a bit last week. I'm a little bit hesitant to run him out there, even in like two quarterback leagues where I've got a viable third option, a little more on the fence there. The distribution of carries for Cleveland, what do you expect that to look like? How do you, how do you see things going down with Nick Chubb this week? Uh, well, Hugh Jackson says he's got to get him the ball more, right? Great, but he still likes Carlos Hyde, and Carlos Hyde's still his guy. I, I, I'm not, even after last week, as great as Chubb looked, I am not ready to take Nick Chubb and go, roll with him. Actually, in Fishbowl, I might have to, but because that's a super deep league, for those who don't know. But I am not in here going, Nick, the Nick Chubb time has come. I don't, I don't know that it's here yet. If he got six carries, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. Yeah, I, I, I'm still not really ready to trust the Browns as a decision-making entity, even though they have racked up a lot of talent. You know, I, I do like the the athleticism they have on defense. I think there's a, a lot to like there, uh, but I could still see the Nick Chubb output being very disappointing because of Hugh Jackson. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not down with that at all. Um, so. But what about what about how much does it knock down Hyde for you? It has to if you're a Hyde owner, you have to be concerned. This was the threat all along. I mean, going into the season, this is why you were getting a discount on Carlos Hyde. If you took that discount, you felt like you were kind of winning the lottery through the first four games. I mean, even even last week, Chubb was really productive. He's on ten percent of the team's carries. Right. Like Hyde had his highest carry share of the season, seventy one percent last week. So. 50-50? Is, is that what we're looking at now? Like, Is that the kind of distribution we could get to? Like, It does give you some pause if you're a Carlos Hyde owner, and it's all going to come down to what do you have as a fallback option? Is that enough for you to go ahead and put Carlos Hyde on the bench, even though he's had the bulk of the carries in every single game for the Browns this season? Rotowire projections, Carlos Hyde, RB19. Nick Chubb. Hello, is Nick Chubb anywhere here? Buried, right? Buried. He's low. He's he was really low. I I, I pulled the projections 61. earlier in the week. Yeah, I, that that's probably a little bit too low, but it doesn't matter. Like he he's he's low enough where you don't feel good about it. He's a desperation play in season long based on the expected usage, even though the talent is undeniable. Yep. Jags Chiefs. Uh, we talked about no four net. Uh, T.J. Yeldon seems to be in a perfect spot to to blow up here. Um, with the Chiefs' defense being so bad, I feel like we have this conversation every week. Who is the Jags' receiver? And this might be more of a DFS question because you know, is I mean, you, most most season long owners are not making a Cole versus Westbrook decision or Cole versus Westbrook versus Moncrief decision. But which one do you like? Could you know if you if you could still go grab one, for instance, or something like that? Wh- who do you like best? <sighs> I, I I was so high on Keelan Cole coming off that Patriots game a few weeks ago. Like I, I bought in hook, line, and sinker. Like I I thought that was real. Um, you know, Chiefs defense it's it's been bad. A, a one hundred point one passer rating allowed to opposing quarterbacks through the first four games it includes a seven point nine YPA, eight TDs, two interceptions. I think it's still Keelan Cole. The gap is just narrowed, and this is why this is why the Jags receivers were so cheap this this draft season like there there was a lot of uncertainty about how they were going to utilize everybody uh Dante Moncrief because he gets targets in the red zone I think is pretty interesting this week I know it was a a long score last week and and that yardage production is just unreliable but this particular matchup is one where I do like him quite a bit even if last week hadn't happened 
I think Moncrief would have popped up as one of those streaming receiver targets if you had uh, Bucks or Bears that you were missing or you had some injury trouble at receiver this week. The, the tricky thing for me is figuring out Westbrook versus Cole. Like I, like Moncrief's role is is probably smaller than both of those guys volume wise, but it might be a little more valuable in the red zone. So you get you feel like kind of okay about it. But Cole versus Westbrook, I, I feel like I would just chase myself, chase my tail if I were a dog, trying to figure that one out. All right, uh, Rotowire projections: Westbrook twenty eighth wide receiver, Cole thirty fourth. Um, Yahoo ownership percentages: Cole fifty seven, Westbrook forty one. Moncrief 10. So you may mm-hmm. be able to get any of them depending on the league you're in. Um, Titans, Bills. We talked about Derrick Henry as a buy low. This, if, if not, you're going to, to play the Bills. You, you, you would think the Titans are going to win. The conventional wisdom is that they should, you know, it's a three-point spread, but you look and you go, they're just better. They'll probably win the game, right? Do we agree? Yes, and I've heard multiple people suggest that they're going to use the Titans and Survivor this week on the road against the Bills. No. That's the kind of move that wins you your pool, though. If if if, if you think your whole pool is on the Patriots tonight against the Colts and you, know, you want to just get some separation, you want to save the Patriots for later, whatever your reasoning is beyond the, hey, I'm getting off the team that everybody else likes, they kind of make sense because the Bills looked horrible. But the Titans for a three and one team have taken a very unusual path to get there. Like I, I, I think they're going to win. I think they're going to cover. I don't like them as a survivor pick because I don't know what exactly the bills are. They look like an expansion team in green Bay on Sunday. And somehow they demolished Minnesota in Minnesota the week before that. And again, maybe the Vikings were looking ahead to that Thursday night game against the Rams, but the bills defense might not be complete garbage. Like, I, I think the Packers were frustrated. They got a lot of yards. It translates that to enough points. But there might be a little more there for the Bills defensively than, you know, the typical trash team at the bottom of the scrap heap. I'm going to, it's like a movie poster. Might not be complete garbage would be the pullout quote right there. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the kind of reviews people would like put for this podcast. Like, <laughs> Five stars might not be complete garbage. Might not be complete. Those guys aren't terrible always. Um, what about LaShawn McCoy? What do you do with him? I he's like he's like in the Josh Gordon folder for me, where I just I have him nowhere. Like, and I'm so happy that I don't have to make that decision. You know, he looked he looked like he had decent burst last week, but I'm talking about a guy that had eight touches, and yep. I think he had at least one play called back with a penalty in that game. Against the Packers, he's in that sort of pain tolerance mode with the rib injury, and I don't know. Maybe the hand is an issue too. He's not in the injury report anymore, so I think that that's enough to where he's probably a flex play for a lot of people. I mean, a three-point line suggests the Bills stay in this game. If the Bills stay in this game, Lashawn McCoy is getting more than eight touches if he's healthy. He's probably going to get twenty touches. Like that's that's pretty appealing and. If you don't buy that line, if you think the Titans are going to just crush the Bills, then maybe you're worried there because if McCoy still has these little minor injuries, they'd just run Chris Ivory instead or you know go like empty backfield and put all their terrible receivers on the field at the same time. All right. Um, Shady McCoy, 39th at running back on the Rotowire projections, by the way. That seems a little low, right? I mean, a, a little. I, yeah, I guess. I mean, it is for me. I don't have him that low. But yeah, because I, I look and I go, well, who else is going to get the ball? I mean, that's, and I, that, that gets, see, that gets me, I am 22nd, but that gets me into the trouble of playing guys on bad offenses when I say things like that. Well, the Titans have allowed 4.9 yards per carry this season. So it's not, not like they've been airtight against the run. Right. There's an, there, yeah, there's a pot, there's an argument. There's a path here. All right. Giants Panthers. I want to revisit the conversation that we had in the preseason. I think I had it with you. I had it with multiple people about the, if the rankings on all the other giant skill players were correct, then Eli would have to be better than QB 26 or whatever the heck he was. Mm-hmm. Well, Eli is QB 22. But the fallout here is the, the argument is holding up so far because it, what it meant was either the Eli ranking was wrong or the other rankings were wrong. And right now, Odell Beckham Jr., where do we got him here? I've got him standard as wide receiver 36 because he's got no touchdowns. 
Right. So And Evan Engram hasn't done much, partially because he's been hurt. Beckham is on pace for 124 catches and 1,300 yards. Right. He's got no touchdowns. He's he's yeah, Beckham Beckham's fine. Like from a from a usage and and production standpoint, if you strip away the lack of TDs, which can be random, especially for a guy that can score from anywhere on the field, that seems fluky. Like, okay. like, like Beckham, if we're drafting again today, does Beckham fall any further than, I don't know, 20th overall? Even that seems like it'd be a, a big fall for, for a guy like that in a full PPR league. Probably not, but to your point, if that's fluky, which I think it usually, I mean, usually it is, right? History tells us that it is. If he's going to get that kind of usage, he's going to start catching touchdowns. Okay. But if he starts catching those touchdowns, then Eli's production improves. Then Eli becomes a more viable QB2 in a super flex league because the other numbers aren't so terrible. Right? Right. And I think the possibility is that Eli doesn't get any better and the yardage keeps coming. Beckham finishes with like five or six touchdowns instead of 12. Better than what he's doing so far. But he underperforms because the offense underperformed and then Eli is as bad as expected. But even in a in a non PPR setting, I think Saquon Barkley is the fifth highest scoring running back this season. Right. Yeah. So he so he was he was fine. I mean, basically it was are, are the other rankings gonna hold up? Something's gotta give. And so far what has given is Beckham. Right. And that's again, with Barkley being where he is and, and having three rushing TDs being on pace for for a dozen it all kind of checks out, and I just kind of look at the Beckham lack of touchdowns as more of an anomaly than anything else. Okay. Um, in this game, I want to talk about one sneaky play. I, I cannot figure out. The, the Panthers wide receivers, I think, are a place to avoid in general because even Devin Funches, who was being drafted as the clear-cut number one in that group, is just not doing a ton right now. Now they're adding Curtis Samuel, and it's just it's kind of messy. Um. Tight end. I mean, tight ends agreed. Tight ends a cesspool, right? It's terrible. It's just so it's very bad. bad. Yeah. Thank goodness Gronk is playing or it would have been worse. I mean, I, this week, I literally, I'm looking at my rankings. I have Austin Hooper as tight end 12. <laughs> and it's terrible. I looked at it and I said, that's ridiculous. And then I looked at who was below and I went, well, no, it's not at all. <laughs> I think there's no other way to go. Well, there's not a lot of other ways to go. There, there's bad solutions everywhere. Is um, Thomas kind of like a Vance McDonald, but just in an offense that spreads the ball around a little bit more? Like five-ish targets per game. Good enough to where you, if you have to play him, you can say, yeah, this this can work. But still shaky enough with that role where you're saying, yeah, this could also be a total disaster too. Yeah, it could be a disaster. Um, what happened is I think two weeks ago against the Falcons, Cam hit Thomas in the end zone. We're talking Ian Thomas, rookie Panthers tight end, by the way. He hit Thomas right, I mean, right in the hands, dead, perfect pass, best pass he threw all day probably, and Thomas dropped it. And then they went back to him, and then last week he got five targets against the Bengals. And I look, I go, okay, Greg Olson's not back yet. Um, the Giants, this year they've been good against tight ends, historically not so much, um, last few years anyway. I just looked at it and I went, if I was looking for a sneaky play, and it might, this might be more on our Friday DFS discussion, but Thomas is a guy who... I mean, he got, like I said, five targets last game, and it doesn't make him a heck of a lot worse than, than 10 of the other guys were thinking about starting. He's the kind of tournament dart that you could throw, and it would free up a little cash for some upgrades elsewhere. And if you had a lot of chalk elsewhere, it'd be the kind of thing where if it hit, then you might get away with a lot more chalk, too. Like, I, I get it. I mean, it's he's, he's in that group. There's probably five or six other tight ends that are similar in the what could go right, but it probably won't go right sort of discussion. Right. And now we're in a world where Jared Cook is a superstar tight end. So what, I mean, I don't know anything anymore. <sighs> I remember sitting I here know. in the first two weeks of the season saying, people, please don't chase Jared Cook. And now look. Oh, well. Um, Broncos Jets. So the Broncos running back situation is interesting. And Vance... Hold on. I'm going to see what the quote is. Where is the Royce Freeman? Let me find it, folks. The head coach had some nice things to say about Royce Freeman, who ran pretty well the other night. I mean, the team ran generally fine. 
against the Chiefs. Vance Joseph acknowledged Wednesday, this is from his Rotowire player page, that he plans to involve Freeman more heavily in the offensive game plan in the weeks to come. Quote, I'm looking forward to getting him more touches. He needs more opportunities because he's playing good football. Uh, when I did these show notes, I was going to say, what do we do with the Broncos running backs? Is this, is this a, you know, this, the, the, is this a smoke signal from Van, not a smoke signal? Cause that would be secret. Is this an obvious sign from fans? Joseph that Freeman is about to overtake Philip Lindsay or do we need to see it first? Uh, I, I like this matchup a little bit, even though the jets yardage wise at four, at 3.8 yards per carry have not been a total sieve. Four rushing TDs allowed, five carries of 20-plus yards, which I think is tied with a bunch of other teams for the worst in the league. Uh, so I think the way that you have to look at this right now, it is a timeshare until their actions show you otherwise. I mean, the Lindsay usage dipped in Week 3 because he got ejected from that game. Overall, it's been close to even in Weeks 1 and 4. Like, it's total like rushing yards, opportunities, very, very close to even. So if if Joseph is saying it's Freeman, that's still enough for me to say, okay, like he's probably still in my lineup as a flex, maybe a very low end RB two in a matchup like this one. And it's gonna be even it's gonna be even harder to sit a guy like that down once more teams are on by. We only have, you know, two teams on by for the second straight week. I like Freeman a little more than Lindsay right now, and I'm continued I'm continually baffled by just how much more Lindsay is playing than anybody expected. Yep. I agree. Would you, uh, there's another one. So you, if you have Freeman, do you think you're rolling with him or not? I am rolling with him in the pentathlon league. And that's a, that's a league where I don't have, I don't have great running backs. I got a bunch of guys like that. You know, I've got Matt Breida. I was rolling with Gio Bernard. So yeah, talk, talk about a place where I am absolutely missing Gio Bernard. Once Joe Mixon comes back, pentathlon, is one of those places, and I'm probably rolling with Brita Freeman, and I may have to throw a receiver in the flex depending on the mix and status. Because I, I'm assuming that Gio Bernard's role, it still exists, but it dries up enough where you don't want to throw him out there in a 12 team league. Right. Okay. By the way, uh, Rotowire projections: Lindsey RB30, Freeman RB33, which just cannot make you feel warm and fuzzy if you're thinking about starting either one. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Falcon Steelers, uh, over under 57 and a half. Fantasy bonanza here projected and sounds about right. Uh, Devontae Freeman expected back for the Falcons. Um, what do we do? With, first of all, are you rolling with Devontae Freeman if you have him, if he's active? Yeah, if he's active, I, I think that means he's healed up enough where they want to use him the way they normally do, which, again, with that timeshare of him and, and Tevin Coleman, uh, it, it's still it's favorable because the defense is so bad right now. With all those injuries, they are shootout-prone every single week. Uh, I would turn to Freeman, you know, assuming full practice Friday and that he's active on Sunday. Okay. Um, James Conner. This seems to be a spot for a rebound game because the Falcons are without. They've been down players. They lost another player, Grady Jarrett, who's uh, big in the middle of their line. I mean, their defense is just it's a it's injury disaster. Are, are, I feel like this is a spot for James Conner. He had that good first week. the The game against the Bucks wasn't a, wasn't terrible because he got some receiving yards. But since week one, he just hasn't. Been, you know, it, the narrative that they didn't need Le'Veon Bell has has quieted since week one. Do you think this is sort of a bounce back game here for Conner? Yeah, it's weird that that went away when they weren't playing the Browns. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think with Connor, it's kind of like, hey, Bell's coming back in a couple of weeks. This is my opportunity to prove that I can be the guy that, that when the Steelers move on from Le'Veon Bell, this is my job next year. Right. I think that little extra nudge helps. But more importantly than any narrative like that, Atlanta is maybe the easiest team in the league to run on right now. Because of all those injuries, Jarrett going down is just another in a long list of, of key injuries right up the middle in that defense. 
What do you do if you're a Connor owner? So Bell's, so the reports are that Bell's going to return during the week seven bye, right? So mm-hmm. week eight, he's ready to go, which means you get two more games of Connor. What do you do if you have Connor? At this point, you can't trade him. Or could you, do you think, for, I mean, do you trade him for pennies on the dollar? Do you hold and hope that Bell doesn't work out? Like, what, what do you do if you have Connor after the next two weeks? Like, do you try to proactively do anything with him? If you want to sell them, I think you sell them now because everyone's going to want to buy them for the next two weeks. There's plenty of teams that are playing for right now that are one and three or two and two and want to go ahead and try and increase their, their playoff chances. And if you're selling them, it's because you feel good about your running back depth. So that's probably a, a pretty limited number of people right now. I think after Bell returns, he's still Connor's still on that list of, of players, like the backup running backs that you do want to keep on your bench because we've seen how the usage goes when he's down. I think Spencer Ware is on that list, even though uh, it's been all Kareem Hunt in the backfield so far. Um, I think even Malcolm Brown's probably on that list. You know, you think about how good the Rams offense is right now. If anything were to happen to Todd Gurley, don't we all want the next guy? Like, the, there's, right. there's a certain point where you know those players are totally useless when they're not starting, but they will win you the league if the thing in front of them happens that they need to happen to get on the field with a large share of the workload and such a high-functioning offense. And I think because the tree is so skinny still with that Steelers offense, Connor is probably, maybe he's near the bottom of that list for a lot of leagues, but I think he is still worth rostering after Bell comes back. But this is your time to sell him, like right now. I mean, right. going up against Atlanta this week, everybody's going to want to buy in on that. I mean, to sell him, all right, what if someone came to you and goes, hey, you know what, I'll give you Julian Edelman for Connor. Would you take it? Edelman for Connor. That's the kind of trade that I might think about, but I'm I'm dialing back my expectations for Edelman because during draft season they didn't have Josh Gordon. Like they've got Josh Gordon now, and that changes the heavy volume that you could have expected for Edelman. You know, I think between Gordon, Hogan, and Gronk, with all those guys healthy and Dorsett looking a little better than I think anybody would have expected. They've got so many options that the Edelman PPR monster days might be coming to an end. He, yeah. he might be good some weeks and, and very quiet other weeks, and that's, that's not the Edelman that we were used to. We were used to the guy that you just knew he was Tom Brady's favorite target, and I, I think he's got so many more weapons right now that that doesn't necessarily hold up. All right. Yeah, I just look at Connor, and I think I'd almost rather play him this week and next than trade him for something crummy. So... Yeah, well, yeah, if you don't get the right offer, I mean, in, win these next two weeks and deal with the lack of a running back in a couple of weeks when you have to and keep an eye out You know, now. Be proactive now about that. All right, Packers-Lions out Detroit. Geronimo Allison not practicing due to concussion so far. Um, doesn't look like he's practicing Thursday. We were recording this, by the way. Uh, right, we're talking a little before 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh, Devontae Adams, not what? Derek, what's going on up there? <laughs> I don't know what's going on with his calf. I think he was limited on Wednesday, didn't practice Thursday, was in the rehab group or whatever they call it in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers wants to get him the ball more. He was not shy about that in his postgame comments after that kind of mediocre performance against the Bills where they should have put 40-plus on the board. I mean, they put up the yardage to do it and just didn't quite finish off drives. But I think what we're going to see is the ongoing power struggle between McCarthy and Rodgers it's going to go in Rodgers' favor. Like I, I just think McCarthy needs to trust Aaron Rodgers. I think he always has, but I just think there's a certain point where McCarthy's going to have to realize he has some tactical limitations that are holding this offense back. And the concern I have, if Adams is out, which there's no indication yet it's that bad, but it's possible, they don't have any of those young receivers they drafted. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, Jim on Moore, Equinemia, Sam Brown. They don't have any of those guys playing well enough to where you look at it and say, oh, okay, like these guys are ready to step up. And we started to see that last week with Randall Cobb inactive, you know, leaning very heavily on just the trio of Adams, Graham, and Geronimo Allison. There wasn't anything else there. It was just those three guys. Graham got fewer targets than I expected. Allison eventually got hurt. And things really slowed down for the Packer offense after Allison left that game with the concussion. So that depth, while, while all those young receivers are big and fast and interesting, none of them seem to be gelling just yet with Rodgers 
in the limited chances that they've had to play. And Valdez Scantling almost gave away a pick six because he ran the wrong route. Bill's defender just dropped the ball. It would have been an easy touchdown return. Uh, and, and there was another play where he ran the wrong route. You could just see that frustration with Rodgers really starting to bubble over last week. All right. Um, so right now, yeah, it doesn't look like any of the Packers' top three receivers are practicing Thursday other than rehabbing on the side. So keep keep an eye on those if you have any of them, including that's, that's Cobb, Adams, and Allison. Uh, other side of this, Kerryon Johnson, more more work, you think? Oh, every metric seems to show that he's just flat better than LeGarrette Blount, and that's not a shock to anybody, but the numbers are showing it. Other than the, you know, how many snaps and carries. It's the the metrics of, you know, elusiveness and broken tackles and yards after contact and stuff like that all seem to lean very heavily on Johnson. Do you think the coaching staff will will act on that? I think so. I think we're going to see maybe a little more interest in carry on Johnson even this week. I was looking back at at ownership rates for the millionaire maker on DraftKings over the last four weeks. And uh, even at the discounted price last week, carry on Johnson got the 5% ownership rate in tournaments. I think he's going to get closer to eight or 10, possibly this week at 4,600. Uh, I think in season long leagues, you feel good about him as an RV two. you play him and you hope that they wake up this week or next week or sooner rather than later, because he is just a more dynamic player at this point. I mean, there's, there's a good amount of mileage on LeGarrette Blunt, not as much as there could be for his age, but enough to where, you want the guy that can break the long run and and be a difference maker on the field more than he's been to this point. And that's exactly what carry on Johnson is. All right, folks, fantasy draft. We put players first. You got the hundred thousand dollar run and gun weekly feature GPP with the $25 buy-in. There's the $500,000 fantasy draft championship with weekly qualifiers happening now. And it's got a week 16 final. There's super flexible lineup construction. It's easier to sweat the players you love to watch. It's easier to win. Fantasy Draft pays out at least 25% of the field in every single contest. Free Rotowire GPP tickets. You get, if you go to Fantasy Draft, you get a free $4 GPP ticket with the initial deposit just for signing up now with referrer code Rotowire. Again, go to Fantasy Draft, get, use referrer code Rotowire, and you get a free GPP ticket worth $4 for, with, an, with your initial deposit. Go check it out now. Thank you, Fantasy Draft, putting players first. Dolphins Bengals, Joe Mixon back, Geo not practicing Thursday. Uh, that's more of an FYI. Uh, you would think because the Bengals are favored here. The, if if the game goes according to what the numbers say, uh, then Mixon should be busy. Um, what are we doing with the Drake? Speaking of cutting, what are we doing? Yeah, with the there, there's a guy that everybody probably wants to cut. And you say, well, can I really cut my third round pick? Yeah, you, you can if if that's where you want to go. I mean, wh- the question is, why is this happening? Like, what what is going on with Adam Gase? Like, what does he think is happening? Like, you give you give Kenyon Drake eight carries the last two games. Like, yeah, sure, he's he's doing nothing with them, but that's just it's such an insignificant workload that it doesn't matter. It's just like, why is he being buried right now? Well, last I know week the, they got crushed. They were getting demolished, but you thought my thought, and, and I, I used Drake, I think, in my in some of my DFS lineups. My thinking was, if they get crushed, they'll put him on the field and dump the ball off a lot to him, and he'll be great from a, a PPR standpoint. He had fewer targets last week than any game all season. What like what is up with that? He's on pace for forty catches this year, and he's barely carrying the ball. I was this draft season. I was initially concerned about Drake because. So much of the production came in the second half of last season, and I just don't think the Dolphins are very good. Like I know they were undefeated going into last week's game, but I think last week in New England was a better reflection of what the Dolphins really are than the first three games combined, where you know banged up Mariota, and I think he left that game right, and that was the one where Gabbert came in in relief mm-hmm. at the Jets against Darnold. Nah, nothing, nothing tough about going there and playing right now, and then against the, the fighting Grudens. You know, getting a win in week three, like I'm not that impressed by by that schedule. So, I think that's part of it. But with with Kenyon Drake, like I, I was buying into the talent. The, the closer I looked, the more I thought he was doing all the things I like in a running back: breaking off the long runs, catching passes, you know, getting that volume in the second half that you need week over week to be at least a a good RB two, if not a top ten, top twelve back each and every week. Why did 
Adam Gaze sour so much on Kenyon Drake over this offseason and, and through the first month. Like I, That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't either. It, may, it makes me want to play him in, in a DFS tournament this week. Yeah, I, I, I felt that way about him last week. The matchup's not bad here. I bet the ownership rate will dip even further. Prices are bottoming out on him. 4.2 yards per carry allowed by that Bengals defense so far this year. Four touchdowns. Do you need to see something? Do you need uh, Gaze to tell a beat writer? We're going to get Kenyon Drake more involved. It's been a mistake in our game plan not to. Like, would, would anything change your mind about that? Or, or if you said the opposite, would you back off him in tournaments? Or do you just think they have to see him as a better path to scoring points than Frank Gore? I mean, I, I think I would need Adam Gase to say something to the con- to, against him to say, well, you know, he hasn't been picking up, uh, you know, his pass blocking has been bad or something. That that would talk me out. I, I still think logically he's gonna get the most work in that backfield if if the game is kind of normal. So I don't know. I've got him ranked thirty first at running back this week. So we'll see. All right. So yeah, that's very it's on tough. the fence. What do we got here? Rotowire, we've got him at fortieth. The Rotowire projections have him fortieth. So there you go. Raiders Chargers. So Amari Cooper had a big game last week. And we all, did. What, we all know what happens when that happens. Everybody says, you, oh, hey. Who is you? He, it's Amari Cooper. He's finally back. And then he's not. <laughs> yep. Are we, you think more of the same? How scared are you to use him this week? I put him in my cash lineups in, by default. It's season long, just the usage. You got to play him. Cash line, right. You put him in cash lineups? For this week, yeah. He's so... I, I, okay. This is let, let, I, let, I need to pro- let, let, I need let, to dig into this now. Let, let, let's roll back. Let's roll back the tape. Let's begin with number one. I am kind of an idiot. Like let, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll admit this. I've I've done some pretty stupid things in my life. So I fully fully admit I I might be an idiot. Here here's why I did it. I'll I'll defend it, and you can try to poke holes in in my explanation. The Chargers are not a good pass defense. They have not been good at all this year. They've allowed 10 passing touchdowns. They've allowed opposing passers to rack up a 100.9 passer rating while allowing 8.7 yards per attempt. I think John Gruden is in over his head. I've thought that all along. But I think this is a good enough situation for Carr and Cooper to actually put up monster numbers. The Carr-Cooper tandem, because of the low prices in DFS this week, were the easiest cash game pairing to put out there. Over-under is pretty high in this game. Raiders implied totals 24, so it's a little above average for this week. And that opened up so many other interesting possibilities where if I wanted Elvin Kamara this week, or the answer was actually Christian McCaffrey. I want to get Christian McCaffrey in at his elevated price going up against the Giants. That was one path to do that and to be able to pay up at receiver uh, for one of the high-end guys I wanted. I wanted Juju Smith-Schuster in my cash lineups as well. So I just think that was a, a an easy quarterback-receiver pairing where I felt like the target volume this week was going to be where it needed to be against a pass defense that hasn't been good at all. It's actually been pretty bad. I'm trying to find the, the game logs for Cooper because I, re- I read, I don't know where I saw it. It was something to the effect of, you know, he he's had more games of under 35 yards than it's just when he's bad, he's bad. Hey, mm-hmm. For me, he's too volatile for cash lineups. So here's the here's the here's the argument back against that. Right, week one he catches the Rams when they were healthy with Talib and Peters both out there together. Derek Carr throwing at those guys is that was that would not have been a good idea, and he was just smothered. Denver better matchup bounces back, ten catches, one sixteen, ten targets. Love it, love the usage. Miami, I think, does have a legitimate like number one receiver lockdown corner. I think they have that. I think that's that's uh Xavier Howard, right? Like he's mm-hmm. he's that guy that can take away an opposing team's number one receiver. So I think that's part of the reason, a big part of the reason why Cooper was so bad in that week three matchup. And I don't think the Chargers have that that lockdown corner right now. So I'm I'm with you on the volatility of Amari Cooper. I was not the guy drafting him mid-second round last season and feeling good about it. But I also wasn't the guy that said, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Don't do that. 
I just liked other players better, and I kind of avoided last year's disaster. So maybe avoiding last year's disaster has made me more willing to keep buying in this year. Uh, but I'm looking at the yards per target, nine yards per target in these first four games. Like, as quiet as the production was against the Rams and the Dolphins, I think those individual matchups largely explain why that happened that way. All right. And our friend, courtesy of our friend Matt Harmon from Yahoo, um, the Chargers allowed to wide receivers the third highest yards per target, the seventh highest catch rate, and the third most touchdowns to wide receivers. Yeah, right. I mean, they're they're bad. Yep. All right. Cardinals 49ers. Matt Breida seems popular this week. You agree? Watch I, the chat. I've done a good job of not being all over Twitter this week. I've actually been working on some hockey stuff. So wow, my my my, my midweek attention to Twitter has been less than usual, and that's actually kind of refreshing in some ways. But the drawback is that if everybody's on Matt Breida, I have not been as dialed into that as I would have been in previous weeks. So are you expecting him to be like high owned in tournaments? Like that's what's the what's the what's the read here? I think probably I'm not looking at salaries. I think high owned in cash probably because the the theory seems to be that he was he, his shoulder was banged up last week, mm-hmm. but he he kind of overtook Alf for snaps and he catches the ball. And last year when Beathard played, he threw the ball to running backs a lot, and it just seems like this not perfect storm, but things seem to argue in favor of Brita right now that he's about to get an uptick in, in usage. And it, it lines up prices are low still across the board relative to what he might do. Arizona uh, is tied or has the league lead and rushing touchdowns allowed with seven this season yardage per carry four yards a carry. So they're not, they're not stuffing the run. They're not, you know, they're not Kansas city out there either, but they're, they're weak enough where I think even, even a San Francisco offense led by C.J. Beathard, can move the ball against them, and, and Breida can be a big part of that. So, yeah, I, I think that as a, a chalk sort of call makes a lot of sense. I think if you got him in season long, like I said, I got him in the pentathlon. I love Breida this week as a guy that's definitely in one of my two running back spots. He's, he's above the flex line right now. Okay. Um, let's move on to Vikings-Eagles. Dalvin Cook, sounds like he's going to be on a... I mean, he said Monday that his hamstring's not 100%. The uh, the phrase someone was quoted using the term pitch count. I'm not exactly sure who it was, but what do you do with Dal- I mean, if you're a Dalvin Cook owner? If he's active, your gut says start, you, you normally you say, "Oh, if he's active, I'm playing him." But when you read pitch count, you go, eh, "I don't know." What do you do? I think they would be smart to pull the Fournette, shut him down. Yep. They have a buy in week ten. That's uh, five more games where they had to go. Latavius Murray heavy and maybe if Murray breaks down or is really bad you get two or three weeks into that shutdown period Cook's healed up more you bring him back you know week seven week eight against the Jets and the Saints but Eagles this week yeah it's a tough matchup regardless if you're just going to hurt Dalvin Cook again by playing him you can't play him so you sit him fantasy owners are stuck in this terrible spot Arizona next week you can beat Arizona at home without Dalvin Cook but that's probably what they thought about the Bills too, and hmm. look how that turned out. But no, no, seriously, they should. They, they've they've had their ridiculous meltdown game. Like they're that's not going right. to happen to this team again. Listen, I'd be stunned if it did. So you probably can't play them this week if you're the Vikings. You get Arizona at home in week six. You could at least give them two weeks off. Jets on the road week seven. They could win that without him. I think a little shutdown here for Delvin Cook would be maybe the best thing for him if they're going to get him back to 100 percent and get him back to running at the level he was running at last season before tearing his ACL. Is he a fantasy shutdown for you? I'd like to. Uh, you may not have the luxury of doing that, of course, depending on your depth and how things are, are breaking. But I, I see him as more of like a flex play this week based on what we know right now and and based on just how much he has struggled this year on a per carry basis. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what to do with him right here. I've got him ranked 20th, and that's pretty close to where the Rotowire projections have him. I think they had him 18th. Um. One more question on the Eagles in that one. Generally, fantasy-wise, are you looking to – is Wentz inside your top 12 most weeks right now, or do you need to see more? Wentz, for me, probably is going to end up in that group most weeks. And this week, I, I think he's kind of sneaky in GPPs because, as as I have been at least, people are, are kind of slow to buy into the idea that Minnesota's defense isn't as good as we thought. Like, that's that's been one of the big surprises for me 
through four weeks, John. I mean, 9.2 yards per attempt allowed by the Vikings defense, 105.9 passer rating against, eight TDs, only three picks. That's a good setup for Wentz. And if you believe those weapons are, are healthier than they were a couple weeks ago, that also kind of points in the right direction for Wentz to maybe put up better numbers than people are expecting. I think he comes out kind of low in the projections this week, but I do think he's uh, a bit sneaky for GPP purposes and and probably safer than you'd think in uh, season-long leagues. All right. Vikings are going to win this game, by the way. Take it to the bank. You, you get the Vikings winning this one? Yes. They need it. And the Eagles yeah, have not been good. They're, they're definitely desperate right now for one. Mm-hmm. Um, Rams, Seahawks. Obviously, start your Rams always, even at Seattle. Uh, so Pete Carroll says that Chris Carson should be back this week. But Mike Davis has earned playing time, and he has to play. And, well, last week, Rashad Penny, what was he, 9 for 49 or something? And, you know, you throw your hands up, and you just run away from everybody here, right? Yeah, I punt on this entire offense, on this entire franchise. Everyone should get fired. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> punt on everybody. Every Seahawk. Just ignore and bench all of them. I mean, Russell Wilson, Doug Baldwin, fine. You you know what to expect generally with those two guys. I mean, five of seven targets, 41 yards, didn't score against the Cardinals. That's pretty disappointing. Uh, But he played 50 out of the 66 offensive snaps. Tyler Lockett played a little more. Matching up against that defense is brutal. Maybe this is the kind of time when we shouldn't be counting up the Seahawks because they would show up when you least expect it against one of the league's uh, better teams, but I I just think this could be an embarrassing week for Seattle. We, we might have a better indication of just how much of a disappointment they're going to be this season after this Rams matchup. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm staying away. I actually picked up uh, Davis in a deep league the other day. Figured Garbage. Know, had to give garbage it a team. It's a garbage team. You're right. Uh, Cowboys-Texans Sunday night. Uh, Kiki QT was QT, sorry was a popular pickup in some spots this week. I'm, I'm out on that. I think that was more tor- because of Fuller's injury, and I don't know if the Titans can support three receivers. Do you agree? They might if their defense is bad, but uh, just Will Fuller, man. Like, what, what are we going to do? we got to hydrate him more. we got to get him doing yoga. Like, what's the, <laughs> what's, the, what's the Will Fuller hack that we need? Like, what? What remedy is there for Will Fuller's ongoing soft tissue problems? I, I don't know. I think you. I think he's. That's baked into the price of admission on Will Fuller, is what I think. And then you just might have to deal with it. And sometimes he's not going to play because if he did play all the time, he you'd be a wide receiver one. Streaming defenses this week. Dallas has a pretty good pass rush. Watson can be vulnerable to getting sacked because the offensive line's pretty bad. Do you like Dallas as maybe the? Still available season-long streaming defense that you could throw in there. No. I just i am not a huge fan last week. How many sacks did they get last week? I don't know. Mm, I, I don't remember I mean, offhand. They're generally different without Lee, and they weren't great last week. So, nah, I'm out. I understand the logic, but I'm out. Um, yeah, no, no, no Lee at Wednesday's practice, and I guess Jerry Jones has expressed doubt that Lee would play against the Texans, so yeah. it doesn't look good. I think this is a Texans game here. Uh, Lamar Miller, by the way, RB26 in Rotowire projections. No man's land again for Lamar Miller. Complete <sighs> no man's land. Yeah, he, he, that's, where, that's where he lives. And you know, Leighton Vander Esch starting for Sean Lee bothers me because I, I feel like Leighton Vander Esch should be playing as like a left back for Borussia Dortmund or something. He actually should be a, a villain in a John Hughes movie, I think is what he should be. Also good. Yeah. All right, Redskins Saints Monday night. Mark Ingram back. Do we need a, do we need the prove it game from Mark Ingram? So I, I've thought about this for several weeks, John. I've I've thought about Mark Ingram's return to the Saints and how much they will use him right away or not use him right away. And I I tried to say in my mind, I tried to say, well, Willie Sneed was a key part of this offense. Then he got suspended and he kind of disappeared last year and just wasn't wasn't important at all to what they were doing, despite a two-year track record of being a very good slot receiver who had the trust of Drew Brees. Like, Snead just never really got back into Sean Payton's favor last season. We've seen Ingram and Payton have dust-ups in the past. Like, we've seen those on the sidelines. Do you think it's a lock that Ingram comes back and has a similar role to what he had last year? 
no, because of how it went down, because his role diminished down the stretch. I think he might have his down the stretch role. I don't think he'll have the the early season role, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's pretty it's pretty interesting because Sean Payton definitely marches to the beat of his own drum. Like he is he's not the guy that does what everyone thinks he's going to do all the time. Right. That's part of what makes him effective. And I just I'm I'm wondering if frustration with Ingram in the past paired with frustration over his PED suspension if that actually puts him in a position where you know he he might be in danger of having a smaller role than expected but as you said down the stretch last year didn't have more than 14 carries in a game after week 10 yep he was c- catching more passes than expected though that was the thing that kind of saved him when the carries dipped after that point you know still pretty involved week to week even with Kamara doing Kamara things. So if they go right back to that, then great. Your, your, your stash of Mark Ingram is fine. But there's this little shred of doubt for me just because of the way that relationship from a thousand miles away has kind of looked over the last few years between Peyton and Ingram that he's not necessarily going to get his full workload back right away or at all. All right. One thing to consider about the Saints passing game, by the way, the Redskins are allowing a... League low, 77 passer rating, 5 point yards per pass attempt. Uh, and it's not, I mean, they've played against Rodgers and, I mean, Gimpy Rodgers and Luck. So it's not like it's been awful opponents. Gimpy Rodgers in the rain and, and Luck with like 70% of an arm. Yep. That's true. All right. The other thing, um, Adrian Peterson in or out of in this game? Uh, you have to play him if you have him, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. He's another one of those guys. I don't have him anywhere, and I should be able to analyze anyone and everyone. But I just, I, I, I want to. Every single time that I, I think I have someone figured out, and they, they prove me wrong, and I start to change my mind after several weeks, that's when I end up being kind of right in my original position. I don't want to back down on this one. I just think there's, there's too much working against him here. As bad as the Saints have been against the pass, they've actually been very good against the run. I would look at my alternatives very carefully, but I think you said it exactly right. I think a lot of people have to use him because if you are rostering him, it was probably because you were hurt at running back very early in the season and his role bubbled up to be a lot more prominent than expected. Yep. Um, by the way, he's 13th on the Rotowire projections running back. I have him 17th. So... Uh... I guess I'm starting them if I have them. What else you got going on besides hockey and Brewers? Hockey, Brewers, uh, well, NBA season starting in two weeks, so I'll be getting a little dialed into that, too. So it's a wonderful time of year, right? You get to watch playoff baseball. You get to get fired up for the, the winter sports season's beginning, and, and now we're starting to get a sense of, of who NFL teams really are. I think you get four weeks in, you start to paint a better picture, a clearer picture of you know what exactly teams' strengths and, and weaknesses are. All right. Um, by the way, Hornets fans going crazy for Miles Bridges in the preseason so far. All right. I'll keep Love that him. in mind for uh, for opening night for DFS. Yep. People just going bonkers about Miles Bridges. So um, lots of lots of dunks, which makes it fun to watch. So um, all right. And and down way down on you know who's slipping out of the rotation. Frank Kaminsky is going to be he's going to be a, a very active bench cheerleader this season. It looks like. I don't like the sound of that. Yep. It's not going well. He's just going to. He needs there. to get flipped. He needs to go somewhere else. He's going to wave a towel, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's uh, there, there's a there's a rich tradition of Wisconsin's big men becoming great towel wavers. Uh, <laughs> it starts with Brian Butch back during one of their their early two thousands Final Four runs. Nice. All right, folks, listeners to our podcast get a free ten day RotoWire trial at rotowire.com slash pod. No credit card needed, so you can check out nearly all the features on the site. Take a look now. Rotowire.com slash pod. Uh, please leave us a review and a rating wherever you're listening. We'd appreciate it. And thank you for listening to this edition of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Fantasy Draft. We will be back on Friday. Derek and I will talk about the latest injuries. Hopefully, the Packers will have some healthy wide receivers somewhere. Uh, we'll talk DFS, things like that. So please come on back. For Derek Van Riper, I'm John Halpin. See you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.